What happens when a radio broadcaster gets let go from his sports talk job? Well, he tries to figure out what he wants to do next for a career. And in the meantime, joins the 4 million other podcasts on the internet and the John cast is born. Join me each week as I talk to guests I find interesting or entertaining from the world of sports, play-by-play broadcasting, or whatever else sounds fascinating to me at the moment. The John cast is what I'm doing until I figure out what I'm doing. Subscribe, download, and I hope you learn something along the way. All right, welcome in. It's the Big Five O episode number 50 of the John Cast podcast. When I started this, I had no idea I'd be doing 50 episodes. I just started a podcast because I, like the intro said, I just want to figure out what I'm, you know, do something until I figure out what I'm doing. So welcome into the John Cast podcast. Thanks to my sponsors, Ian's Pizza in Madison. They've got three locations in Madison and one in Milwaukee as well. Go check out Ian's Pizza and they're always changing over their slices. Try the mac and cheese. Also brought to you by me and Julio in Madison uh, and in Fitchburg. And me and Julio, they've got the $4 margaritas Tuesdays and Thursdays. Wine Wednesdays for just $5. And you're running out of time for their April specials. So go check out me and Julio. And we're planning a listener event at me and Julio. Stay tuned for details on that. When it happens, it's going to happen. And we're just going to go with it. Um, so thanks to our sponsors. And y'all can always check out johncastpodcast.com. And please leave a review. Uh, drop in a rating on Apple, Spotify, wherever you consume your podcast. But I'm really excited for today's guest. She is an author of the book, Giannis, The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP. If you're a Bucks fan and you still haven't checked this out, what is wrong with you? My guest today is Mirren Fader. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me on and congrats on 50. That's so cool. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Um, um, you know, here's to another 50, right? <laughs> 50 yes. more. And many more. I've really enjoyed uh, the book on Giannis. It's oh, thank you. fantastic. And I love the stories. I'm actually, you know, listening to the audio book of it. So it's you reading the book, which I think is so cool. And whenever you talk, like you say a quote from Giannis, you do it in a way where I can imagine Giannis saying that. And so like now every time I hear these Giannis quotes, like imagine Giannis saying it, but you say it in such a perfect way that it seems like it's Giannis. <laughs> Well, that, that makes sense at all, but that means so much to me because uh, the audiobook was a labor of love. And as you know, there are many Greek words and many Greek pronunciations, um, all of which I did not know. Um, and so I, I just had to work so hard on it. So thank you for listening. Seriously, it's it, I learned so much. It's really acting. You have to, you know, Giannis's humor, his charm, all of that has to come out. You can't just like read the script, you know? Yeah, exactly. And that's interesting you said, because you could, you know, I heard obviously all these Greek names and words and I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, how many takes did it take? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> get that, right? And, and um, we can start there because I actually had some questions on the process of the audiobook because as I'm listening to it, I'm thinking to myself, what is the process like for an author to have to read their own book and how long did it take you? Did you do it from home? Did you have to go in somewhere? What was that like? Yeah, um, it's it was such a process. It, I think it took like eight, nine days. Uh, and I'm talking about every day for like four or five hours. Sure. I had no idea it was going to be intense. You know, um, I went to a studio near me and um, we just did it over and over. I had to get a Greek speech coach to help with the pronunciations. And you can't just get the name of the person right. You have to start over from the beginning of the sentence. So I would have the name fresh in my mind. And then I would start from the beginning of the sentence and then forget how to say the name in the middle of the sentence and then do it over and over and over and over. The Golden Dawn leader's name was particularly uh, difficult for me. It might, might have taken like seven times one time. Um, 
but yeah, it's, you know, it's so interesting because I have become such an audiobook listener myself. And um, that was not a big part of my life, uh, you know, five, 10 years ago. And I've learned from feedback that readers appreciate when the author does their own audiobook because you understand the material, you understand the nuances, the, the funny moments, the charm, and um, you really have to get into character and almost act and be animated. So it really pulled me out of my comfort zone for sure. Yeah, it was really cool. And, I, and yeah, I, I do appreciate when the author reads it uh, as well, as opposed to like some some guy in a deep voice. Reading, right, and it turns you, know? you off when you don't like the person, you know? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I had quit on audiobooks because I'm like, oh my God, this person is so stale. So I was like, my only hope was like, please don't be stale. That's it. Please don't be stale. Be somebody that somebody wants to keep listening to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you are. You are. By the way. <laughs> um, so so take me through the process of how, how did you begin to write a book about Giannis? Why did you choose Giannis? I know you explained that a little bit at the beginning of the book. Sure. Yeah. I, um, you know, I've been wanting to write a book for a couple years now and I never quite found the right topic and I was trying to come up with something and then see if it worked. But, um, a lot of the literary agents were like, you know, I like your ideas. I just don't think they're sellable. Um, you know, with book writing, it's so strange. You have to have both a really good human idea, but something that's also very mainstream that, you know, publishers will want to produce and people will want to buy. Um, and so in 2019, in the summer, I went to Milwaukee to profile Giannis's youngest brother, Alex. And I really did not expect Giannis to be there. I just thought, well, I want to profile this kid. He's fourth in line. I wonder how much pressure it is to be him, what it's like to be him. And, you know, then I go to the house and Giannis is there and it's just serendipity. And I'm just observing them together. And I'm like, wow, you cannot tell Alex the brother's story without telling Giannis's story. And you can't really tell Giannis's story without the brothers because they mean everything to him. And so the more I observed and spent the day with them, I was like, you know, this is a really family story. So when the profile came out, it was for Bleacher Report where I worked at the time. I really feel like that story showed m as much about Giannis as it did Alex. And so I had been talking to a literary agent and I was like, what do you think about, you know, doing a biography on Giannis? Because I just think there's so many more tender sides to him and loving sides to him that you saw in that piece than people would talk about. You know, people really liked at the time he hadn't won his first MVP. People just wanted to focus on the freakish athleticism. But that piece that I wrote really focused on the mental side of things. And so I just thought, what if we could turn that into a book, you know? So, um, <clears throat> excuse me. So that's what sort of led me to that direction. Yeah. And, you know, when you start reading and hearing the story about Giannis, you know, it's such an incredible story where he starts from where he is, you know, right. currently. And, and, you know, we don't know how the, the, the story of Giannis really finishes yet, but because right. um, there could be even more championships and more MVPs on the horizon for him. But I don't know. Am I the only adult that gets inspired by Giannis? Do you get inspired? Like after doing this, did you just be like, oh, my gosh, I, I got to change some things in my life or I can be better at some things in my life? Oh, a hundred percent. I'm so inspired. You don't, you don't want to work on something where you're writing about somebody that you don't feel connected to in some way. Um, the amount of people, I interviewed 221 people, most of them adults, and all of them are inspired by him. <clears throat> you just don't find people that don't have that same awe of him. And I think that's incredibly rare in today's game. 221 people and not one person had something negative to say about him. Um, I really was so inspired by that ego quote that he had in the playoffs about your pride and your ego. And 
uh, being humble. And there was one quote at the beginning of the book where I talked to the assistant coach on the Bucks, um, Josh Oppenheimer, and you know, he said, I think Giannis, I think it was something like Giannis goes so hard or whatever, because he's so afraid of losing everything. Um, that is so resonant to me in my career and my life. So I just think he's the perfect human story because all of us can take something from him, whether it's admiring your parents, being a good older brother, like working hard, not being satisfied. Um, it, it, there's so much to be inspired by. Yeah, he, he really truly is just an, an inspiring figure. And it comes through so well in the book. You know, um, something that I was really interested in, in learning about was, uh, and when you got to it, was the racism that mm -hmm. Giannis endured in Greece. You talked about Golden Dawn at the start here and the Golden Dawn party. And, you know, how much of that were you aware of before you started writing? Because the, the racism in that party in Greece, it's was just insane to learn about. I know. I really, I had never heard of Golden Dawn before this project. Um, obviously, I know that there's a ton of racism in, in Europe, and I sort of just accepted that and knew that loosely, you know, especially in, you know, places like France. And there's this hard move turn to the right in, in a lot of these countries. Um, so I knew it existed, of course, but I didn't know that there was an actual neo-Nazi group patrolling streets and patrolling neighborhoods like you know, the one Giannis grew up in. And um, it was so important to do that context because I think Giannis's story has been really sanitized into this fairy tale of like, look at all these amazing white people that helped him. And then he got to ascend and he transformed everything and it was all good. And, you know, the truth is much more mixed. You know, there were amazing white people that supported him. And then there were also racist people that said horrible things to him. You kind of can't talk about one without the other. So, um, I also thought it was important to talk about because um, people might not be aware, but just because you are born in Greece um, as the son of immigrants does not mean you get automatic citizenship like in the U.S. So even though he was born there, he didn't have birthright citizenship. So it was really important to put the context of like why that is how does it affect other Black players who are trying to climb this Greek system to show that, you know, Giannis, yes, he worked hard. He was amazing talent. He had physical gifts, but he really got very, very lucky. And so many people that look like him will never get those opportunities to advance. Yeah, it was, like I said, it was really interesting to learn about that, that part of Giannis's life. So, um, by the way, I do want to say one thing. You mentioned the humble quote. This is my shameless plug right now. Here, give me a second to bring this up if you're watching on Spotify with us. Uh, if you go to johncastpodcast.com, Mirren, mm -hmm. um, I, oh, I, I made a t-shirt with the quote on it because I love the quote too. I need this shirt. I need this shirt in my life. I'm going to get one. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll make it happen. Um, but I, I just love the quote because here's such a, a you know young guy that just like right. he gets it at such a young age. And when I heard that quote, I was like, it just blew my mind that that somebody that young could have that that kind of perspective. Yes, and it's so genuine. You can't fake being genuine. And I think what makes it interesting is it's not a person that pretends to be perfect. It's not a person that pretends to have known it, you know, have success immediately. His story is really it's a slow grind. You don't acquire that wisdom at age 21. You know, you go through things and you go through things and you are left out of things and you have to grind to get in the inner circle. And all of his life experiences really just created somebody that I think is 
empathetic, compassionate, deeply thoughtful, um, smart, respectful, devoted. Um, yeah, it's just, it's somebody like, for me, I'm always like, why is everyone not rushing to like join the Bucks? I would give any, if I was a basketball player, I want to play with that guy. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know why you don't see people rushing to Milwaukee. It, it's tremendous what he's built. Yeah, it, it really, it really is. And, you know, you, you talk about his background and everything there that's, you know, led him to become this type of person. I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, the way he grew up led him, his work ethic and his focus, like to be focused on one singular thing 24 seven is so difficult to do. But would you say that that focus, that drive, that determination that you talk about in the book is that that comes all from his background? Because if he had grown up in the States and was middle class or something like that, I, I mean, would Giannis be in the NBA, honestly? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think that there are certain things that you see that shape who you are. Like one anecdote in the book, um, you know, his mom would be out selling trinkets for like 13 hours a day or something and still have the energy to wash the one pair of socks that the boys had so that they would have clean socks. You watch your mom do that and that does something to you. You know that she doesn't have to say work hard. You just look at that and you see that is that is what it takes to work hard compartmentalization you brought up focus you know he is great at compartmentalizing and being mentally tough because really that's what you had to do when his first meal would come at 11 p.m you couldn't focus on how hungry you are or how you know whatever you're feeling you're just focused on taking your brothers to school and all getting on the same bus and going here and um you know, you don't take things for granted because you know how what it is to have so little. That's why I think it was so important to show that it's not like he came to the U.S. and he got a million dollars and it's all good. You don't like think one way for 18 years of your life, get money and completely forget about how you lived before. It was a very hard adjustment to learn to deal with abundance. You know, one part of the book I found really interesting was when he finally discovered he and his brothers about the NBA and they started, you know, going to these internet cafes and looking up all these, these yeah. different players and to think of, of Giannis in the cornrows, like Allen Iverson, like I never knew that. That's funny. It, it didn't surprise me. I don't know if it surprised you that Kevin Durant, he kind of um, focused in on Kevin Durant, because if you look at young Giannis um, and you compare him side by side with a picture of KD, they, there's very similar, similar rather just in the way they, their bodies are. Yeah, I mean, first of all, it made me feel old because I was like, oh my God, he's watching like <laughs> our contemporaries at the coffee shop. You know, like I was like, how old is this kid? So at first there was that. It's like you're watching Blake Griffin. That's crazy. I remember when Blake got to the, you know, the NBA. I personally was, I was less surprised about Durant. I was more surprised about Allen Iverson because that is like not what I pictured Giannis admiring, but you know, for him to be a taller, bigger player, I guess, I know he was super skinny then, but you know, he was not a point guard. And so I think it was fascinating to learn that like he loved AI and um, yeah, it was, it was really cool. And I, I love that it wasn't just the moves on the court. It was wanting to look like him. Right. It was wanting to emulate the braids, you know? And I, I think that's really cool. You know, uh, one of the, um, friends of Giannis and I believe is it Rahan am I pronouncing his yeah. name correctly yeah. um that friendship was a really interesting part again of the book have you ever followed up on on some of these people like what is what is he doing what is his friend Rahan doing 
I think he lives in the UK now. Not one hundred percent sure. I haven't followed up, um, but uh, he seemed to be doing well. I mean, I think that was honestly that was one of the most challenging parts because you can't Google Giannis's childhood friends like that. This information like did not exist prior, and so it was having to do extensive vetting and finding the coaches and finding old rosters and having people introduce me to former teammates like this guy and. Um, just sort of, you know, having, did you take photos together? And you see the photo of them in the book, but, or actually, I don't know if it comes with the audio book, but in the paper book, you see a photo of them two together as like 13 year olds and it's adorable. Um, but I think that friendship was so important because a lot of people don't realize that both of them were in such white spaces and that actually allowed a closeness to them. And I think that they learned so much about each other through this friendship. Um, and I also think it just showed what a what a like fun friend Giannis was, like that anecdote about um, his friend who was also poor. Um, they went to the church to get some food, but the the friend is, is Muslim. And so Giannis pretended, oh, he's a good Christian boy. Like, come give him some food. And Giannis is like, you got to trust me more. You know, it was just really cute. You know, you see those glimmers of that funny personality that we see now in him as an adult. He had that at age 13, 14, 15. Now, you, you used the word adorable to describe him a little bit ago, and, and it's it's in the book, too, because he is very charming. He's the, the humbleness, the the smile. It really just ask any Bucks fan here over the last few years. They've fallen in love with Giannis because of his personality, because of that smile, because of him being so adorable. So I thought it was really funny when, uh, you know, you write about how he had to practice mean, like his mean mug, because he didn't want people to think he was this soft, adorable, cuddly little guy. Exactly. That was one of my favorite uh, parts that I found in my reporting. And that's why we called the chapter mean, because it was a real focus, you know, like also he's battling, you know, st stereotypes about players coming from overseas that they're soft and they're this and they're that. And, um, you know, they said like he had to practice it because he's not that guy. Like he's not like, you know, F you, blah, blah, blah. But now all these years later, you see him just rip the hearts out of people and you're like, oh my God, like this guy. I mean, so it's just, it's very fun to see the development of that, you know, and that he took the scowl from Russell Westbrook, you know, like, yeah. again, I feel old, but like, that's funny to me, you know, like he studied him. Um, it's crazy. And it, it, I, it's, it is crazy. So he, he's got this adorable side to him. He tries to practice to show that he's tough and mean. And at the same time, he's a very emotional player as he's getting into the NBA and everything yeah. where, where he would, there's many times throughout the book where you talk about how he'd lose his emotions. He's cry. He'd have to go settle himself down. And where, where do you think that comes from? I mean, I think that was a really interesting part too, is that, you know, boys and men in Greece are not socialized the way they are here in America. So showing emotion openly back in his old teams was not a weird thing. Like his coaches would often see him openly crying all the time. Um, and so I think when he comes here, he doesn't understand that there's a code of masculinity and toughness that you have to have in the NBA. And he, he sort of has to learn that and learn to curtail that. But I think that it might not manifest in outwardly tears these days, but you still see that same like genuine empathetic person that has carried him through this whole time. Um, but you know, it really shows it's, it, he really deeply cares. I think, I think the word, when I think of Giannis, I think thoughtful. That's the word that I think of when I think of him, deeply thoughtful. And um, you don't always see that with players. You know, some guys, they're just like content with making money and, 
they don't really give a shit if they play more than 12 minutes a game, you know, but um, he really like pours his heart out onto that court. And so that emotional thing, I think, is a, a superpower of his. Yeah. And it's so cool that just to hear how, like you said, he doesn't care about money. He cares about getting better. Like mm -hmm. there's always something to work on. He said several times, like, I just want my whole all around game. I want to work on everything. I want to be better. And that's a quality that, man, if you're whatever really industry profession you're into, if you can harness and hone in on that quality, man, that's, that's something to have. Not everybody, not everybody can do it. It's just so difficult to do. It is really hard to do, but it's just, it's miraculous when you look at the photos of him as a rookie and the photos of him now, the way his body has changed. I mean, that's, that's why when people say like, oh, he doesn't really have skill. It's just natural athleticism. It's like, did you see his body circa 2013 to 14? <laughs> that is work. He yeah. was not born with this body. Yes, he was born with aspects of his body, like the, the, the length and all of that, but he worked at it. Um, he got better. He's never satisfied. Um, these are all things that I just, you cannot teach. You can't make somebody want it more. You can't make somebody try harder. And he just, he has that drive in droves. And it, it goes back to that quote that we talked about at the beginning. Like his coach said, like a part of the reason why he's so driven is because he's afraid somebody's going to take it all away. So that motivates him. Yeah. He came in skinny like Durant and now he's at a point where he's like Carl Malone. <laughs> you know, he's just so buff. He's so big. It's crazy the amount of, of work and, um, you know, dedication that that something like that, that radical transformation takes. So uh, right. how, for you personally, how long have you been a writer? And have you all, did you always want to, to write? Yeah, I mean, I have, I would say I have been writing since the fifth grade, okay. but I've been a professional writer since, God, nearly a decade now. So I just turned 31. So yeah, pretty much a decade. Um, I, I've i always loved writing. It was my passion, but basketball was what I wanted to do. I wanted to be in the WNBA. So I never thought about writing as a career. And, um, you know, I took basketball as far as it could go. I played my first year in college. And then I was like, how do I stay involved with basketball? And I thought if I become a sports writer, I could keep that love for writing and basketball and do it together. So um that's why I always wanted to do longer form stories and um, books because I don't know, like I just writing is, is my lab. That's my safe space. You know, that's my place where I feel like most myself. Yeah. So when you did start writing for the last 10 years um, and you had been writing, writing, but not a writer. Yeah, so right, exactly. Fifth grade, like what type of, um, you know, content would you, would you write from fifth grade up until you, you got serious and decided I wanted to do the sports angle? Yeah. You know, it was just, I have a million diaries, you know, writing was my way to cope with all the angst and everything going on in basketball, because I, you know, it was an uphill battle for me. I'm five feet tall and I was trying to play in a game of giants and, you know, I never felt seen for who I was and what I could do. And writing was my way of coping with all the difficulties I went through with basketball, whether it's the height thing or I had, you know, debilitating injuries. And um, I just, I needed to write. Like if I didn't write one day, I missed a day or something. I felt very lost. Um, so it was something I needed to do to feel good, to feel okay. And so that's what I mean. I never considered it a career. I never thought, oh, I'm going to be a writer. Like, I just never thought of that. Um, and then it turned into, I got my first job at the Orange County Register, and I was there for four and a half years, and I went to Bleacher Report, and, and now The Ringer. 
Yeah, I was going to ask you about about your first job. What kind of <laughs> stories were you writing there at the Orange County Register? Yeah, I was doing all the shit work that nobody wanted to do. Um, <laughs> I was fortunately doing features. I knew I wanted to do features, um, but it wasn't on anything like big time or whatever. I was doing, like like I said, the stuff nobody wanted to do. Little League, uh, high school, junior college. Um, I once had to do a story on four-year-old baseball. So, um, you know, but I loved covering Cal State Fullerton. That was one of my beats um, because it was a school of like really talented athletes. They just didn't get the funding that other big schools got. So it was like the perfect, you know, ground for me to get better at writing. But, you know, they had an Angels beat writer, the Lakers beat writer, um, you know, it was a really competitive market trying to be a sports writer in LA. But I knew I didn't want to be a beat writer. I didn't want to write game stories. I wanted to do stories on who are these people and what makes them tick. So, you know, Cal State Fullerton softball coach doing a feature on her, like that gave me so much life to, to do that, you know, and the the high school pitcher at the local school, like, what is he about? You know, like I really honed my craft by doing these long form features on people that nobody's heard of, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so you mentioned that you, you wanted to get into basketball. So did you have a favorite athlete growing up and who was that? Oh my gosh. Uh, it was a mix between Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird. Like I've, as you can see, I have curly hair, but I ruined so much of the curls by putting gel in my hair to slick it back to look like Sue Bird. I did not <laughs> understand like how she did. And Diana too, she would slick it back and then put it in a bun. And um, I, I wanted to be them so bad that I, I did that with my hair. And um, yeah, I just, oh, I love them. I was a huge Kobe fan being from LA. Um, yeah, I just admired those three. Are you, you should, are, have you done any features on Sue Bird or De uh, Diana Taurasi? And is that something that you'd want to do in the future? Yeah, I profiled Tarazi like, oh God, maybe like five, six years ago. Um, but I actually tried to do it again before this season and um, just haven't really seen much movement in that request. So hopefully at some point before she retires, like I am, I am dying to do that feature. Yeah, you'll, <laughs> you'll get it and it'll be, it'll be awesome. It'll be awesome. So for someone perhaps listening to this podcast now and um, they're inspired by your book. Maybe they're inspired by your story to become a writer. What type of advice would you give to somebody who's maybe just getting out of school right now and they want to pursue sports writing? Is there any advice you might give somebody like that? I mean, fall in love with reading. Like, look at, I mean, you can see I love books. I mean, yeah. I'm just, my whole apartment is surrounded by books and it's not sports writing. It's it's fiction. You learn so much about writing through reading and th th whether that's character development, timing, all these things, like you just become a better writer by reading. There's no chance that you can read and not get better at writing. There's just turns of phrases, things that you'll pick up that just will make you better. And I think the other thing is um, just chase it wholeheartedly. You know, I think coming out of school, you know, I graduated in 2013, like people, I would reach out to veterans and they would say like the industry's horrible don't get in it and you know just like super discouraging and um i just I, i've never understood that like if somebody has a passion for something and wants to go for it like why not try so i would just you know like to give a counter message like we could talk about the realities of the industry while also acknowledging that it's an awesome career and you should go into it if you want to um and i would also say like reach out to people that you admire that do things that you want to do like 
I found my mentor on Twitter. I just DM'd him and I was like, I love the way you do this. Like, can I please talk with you? I want to write books someday. And now we're like super, super close. So, but there were so many people I reached out to that never responded to me. You know, it was like one for 20. So just reach out to a million people and like, hopefully that one person responds and can help and change things for you. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah, you were one for 20, but it doesn't matter because you, you, you know, you hit a home run with that and, and that's right. you signed a contract extension. I don't know. I'm trying to make it all sports related somehow. I mean, look, I, I applied to over 50, 60 places upon graduation, whether it was applying or reaching out cold. And I literally heard back from one, which was the Orange County Register. Like I got no's from everyone else or like a no response. So again, like it might look from the outside like, oh, you went there, then there, then there. But it's like, yeah, well, you know, 59 people said no, but one said yes. Like you just have to find your one yes. Yeah, it's kind of like you look at Giannis, you say he's an MVP, he's won a championship, but then you got to hear the whole story of how he actually got to where he is. Yeah. Um, So it's out in paperback now, right? Giannis, the improbable rise of an NBA MVP. Is that paperback now? It just, yep. It just came out in paperback and there's a new epilogue. um, And by the way, we, I just recorded the audio version yesterday. So you'll get the updated uh, epilogue via audiobook soon. Um, But yeah, if you buy it in paperback, it has the new epilogue in there. Oh, very cool. Well, I really do appreciate you taking some time to talk the book. I'm telling you, Wisconsin fans, you don't even have to be like that hardcore of a Bucks fan. This story, <laughs> I give it to your kids that your kids really like. I'm trying to play the audiobook while my nine year old daughter is around me. Like, <laughs> hey, listen to this. Like, you don't got so bad. Like, right. You know, like, right. draw some inspiration from it. So I, I highly recommend it. It's, it's fantastic. And I really appreciate you taking time. And thanks for writing the book. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was seriously so fun. And I, I just appreciate your thoughtful questions. And I'm so glad you liked it. All right. Well, thank you. That's uh, Mirren Fader, today's guest on the John Cast Podcast, episode number 50. I can't believe episode 50 is here. Once again, Ian's Pizza. Where it is? Where is it? Right there. Ian's Pizza. Go check out Ian's Pizza in Madison with three locations. Me and Julio in Madison. Uh, they've got month of April specials, and we will be doing a listener party with a special guest. It'll be announced soon. It's going to be a really quick turnaround. Head out to me and Julio. We'll have a blast. We'll raise some money for charity. And also johncastpodcast.com if you want to check out some of my sports-themed T-shirts I have available in my partnership with Scotty in Madison. So thank you for listening to Big 5-0 to episode number 50 of the John Cast Podcast.